Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge. What a week we've had when it comes to money. There's been so much news come out last week that um, I, I kind of don't know where to start, right? It's, and it's not all good news, unfortunately. There's been a lot of new announcement, announcements from the government about various different, um, basically various different things are gonna, going to cost us more money, essentially. There's the, um, the, the increase in the energy price cap, the freezing of student loan um, repayment threshold. We've got an increase in national insurance that isn't new, but it's been confirmed that it is going to happen. And on top of all that, the, the cherry on top was the Bank of England increasing interest rates. So there's been so much of this stuff that there's not been a lot of time for for all of us to kind of sit down and digest it and think about exactly what it might mean for us. So today I thought what I would do is I'm going to walk through each of these different um, different things that have happened, these different pieces of news, and kind of break down my thoughts on it, explain kind of what's happened, how it might impact you, and where to kind of go from here. So that is the plan today. Like I say, there's a lot for us to get into, um, and but it's worthwhile stuff, right? It's worthwhile stuff. It's, gonna, it's going to actually hit our hip pocket. So, you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about when it comes to money can be quite theoretical and long-term, you know, especially if you're looking at things like retirement planning or, you know, saving for a house in a few years' time, you know, it's, it's all about making changes that move the needle a bit, which small, move the needle small amounts now that end up making quite a big difference in the future. But these things are all things that are going to actually impact us right away. So I think it's really important to get an understanding of, of how that's going to impact you um, so that you can start thinking about whether there's anything you can be doing differently to try and reduce that impact. So before I dive in and start talking through some of these issues, um, I just wanted to say thank you for the people who have sent through questions. So I've got quite a few good questions that I'm going to cover um, on the next solo episode of the show. Um, so that that's really helpful. They've started to, to pick up again, which is great. So if you have questions, just as a reminder, um, feel free to get in touch with me and ask them because, you know, as I've said a number of times in the past, if you've got a question, it's a pretty good chance that somebody else uh, out there who listens to the show is also going to have the same question as well. So the easiest way to get in touch with me and ask a question is just to go to the website, thehedge.io. Um, there's a, a button at the top there to, to ask a question via the uh, contact form, or um, there's also an email link. You can click on that and send me an email or get in touch with me with any of the different um, on any of the different social platforms as well. But please do send through your questions. Uh, and also remember, if you if you've not yet picked up your copy of my ebook, Modern Investing Fundamentals, uh, make sure you grab a copy of that uh, on the website as well. It's completely free. You just have to um, drop me your email address uh, and I'll send the book direct to your email address. So make sure you check out that one. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is this increase to the energy price cap. And just quickly, I want to give a bit of a brief overview of what this actually means. So effectively, what happens is that the the uh, energy regulator, which is Ofgem, they basically look at the wholesale rate of energy prices, which is the rate that the energy pro uh, companies pay for it before they supply it to you and me. They look at what the wholesale um, rate is, and they then give the energy companies a level at which they can charge. So they kind of tell them how much profit they can make. And the reason they do this is to, is to ostensibly stop them ripping us off. So, you know, just to use some random figures, these are definitely not the correct figures, but, you know, hypothetically speaking, if uh, energy companies were getting their electricity for a pound per kilowatt hour, um, then, and then 
they were selling it to you for four pounds an hour, then you, you know you're getting ripped off, right? So the reason Offgem exists is that they look at that sort of example and say, well, you know, you, you, the maximum you guys are allowed to charge per kilowatt hour is one pound fifty. So you know, it builds in the fact that they need they are companies, they are for profit companies, they will make profits, um, but it limits the amount of profit they can make. Now, over the last twelve months. We've seen a massive increase in the cost of electricity, the cost of, well, the cost of um, power really. It's mainly been gas, but a, a large portion of the electricity supply in the UK comes from burning gas. So increasing gas prices also increase electricity prices. Um, and so we've seen that happen over the last 12 months, which means the wholesale price has been increasing quite rapidly. But the retail price, so the price that the, the companies can charge us, only increases when that cap goes up each year. So that's the reason why we saw a number of the smaller providers go out of business. We saw loads of companies go bankrupt. The company I was with, People's Energy, they they went bust um, because basically those companies couldn't wear the loss that they were making in during that period of time. So the um, Offgem has now put up that price cap by fifty four percent. So it means that again, going to our silly hypothetical example, if before, they were saying that energy companies could charge us one pound per kilowatt hour. They are now saying you can charge one pound fifty-four per kilowatt hour. So it's a really big increase, um, and it's—I mean, it's, it's something that we've been expecting. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, you know, in the Ukraine and causing kind of issues with gas pipelines. I'm not 100% sure on exactly how that's all playing out, but I know that's got a lot to do with why the increases are, are so significant. Um, but it does mean that our, our electricity bills and our power bills um, and our gas bills are going to go up significantly um, because the majority of companies are just going to straight up charge that 54% increase. You know, they like I say, a lot of them were losing money last year, so they, they kind of need to, right? So there's been a lot of talk about this. A lot of people have, have seen it. It was going to happen. It's sort of been on the horizon for a little while. It's not unexpected. Um, and so Richie Sunak has come out with a plan to kind of supposedly help with the big increase in, in energy prices. Now, I'm just going to cover kind of the, the real basics of this, but effectively, there's going to be um, up to £350 as a kind of incentive or a rebate or, or an upfront discount off your power bill. The kicker is that some of that's going to be paying have to be paid back. So, the first bit is, as far as I'm aware, everybody's going to get it, and that's a 200 pound upfront discount on your uh, on your electricity bill or your utilities bill, I should say. So they're going to give you 200 quid off your bill, but then what they're going to do is they're going to make you pay back 40 pound a year for the next five years. So effectively, it means you're going to get 200 quid upfront, and then you're going to spread that cost over the next five years. Now, the idea behind this is that Rishi Sunak and his team believe that electricity and power and, and gas costs are going to go back down. So in their mind, this is like a short-term, help you with the short-term pain um, and by spreading that that cost in an, on an in, basically an interest-free loan is what it is. They're giving you 200 quid up front, you've got to pay it back, but you don't have to pay any interest. Um, so it's kind of like, I put up a, a joke on on Twitter and on Instagram, which is like Klarna for uh, Klarna, Rishi Sunak's plan is Klarna for energy, because that's basically what it is: is buy now, pay later. Um, and you know, I don't know exactly how the, the it's going to going to actually be managed, because one of the things that I I'm not 100 percent sure on is you know if you've got a let's say a family where you've got a couple of um, kids who are adults, so 18, 20 year olds, whatever. So two kids, mum and dad 
the household gets their £200 rebate, which they then start paying back in £40 increments over the next five years. Two kids leave home, move into separate flats by themselves, for example. Are they they're going to have to start paying back? Because all just done through the the through the uh, per household. Are they going to have to start paying that forty, even though they didn't get the two hundred pound rebate up front? So hypothetically, if they moved out the day after the rebate was paid, you get two hundred pound rebate up front, and then six hundred quid needs to be paid back. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But it got a lot of bad press um, because, like I say, it is it's a loan effectively. It's an interest free loan, so it's you know not a problem. But um, with all of the bad publicity around about buy now, pay later, it kind of slots quite interestingly into that. So that's kind of the first part of that um, of that uh, scheme. The second part is for people who are in council tax band A to D. Um, they will receive an extra £150 off their, uh, off their bill, but that is non-repayable. So that's for people with a I assume I'm not actually checked by. That's obviously for lower, um, you know, lower value homes. So um, they will receive an extra 150 pounds, and then there are some funds available for people who are under financial hardship um, to provide some extra support there. So I don't know. It's a it's a it's a tough one um, because there's there's uh, inflation's obviously running very high, so they've got to be careful about again pumping continuous more continuously greater amounts of money into the system, um, but it's got a lot of bad press about this. And, and also, it relies on the fact that energy prices are going to go back down. You know, one of the concerns is that the price cap uh, gets reviewed again, I believe it. I believe it's in October. So, you know, if we have another big increase um, in the price cap in October, what happens then? You know, does he roll out another scheme and all of a sudden the 200 turns into 400? And, you know, how... how for how many years or how many months does does that kind of debt roll up before it starts to get a bit uh, a bit too much of a burden on the on your long term power bill? So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that one plays out. But that's effectively what's happening happening regardless of the two hundred pound um, assistance or three fifty if you're eligible. You know, power uh, power costs going up. They're going up a lot. Um, so just be aware that whatever you have been paying for the last twelve months is probably going to see a pretty significant uh, a pretty significant increase come April. So student loans is the next one. Now, um, this is an interesting one because basically what's happened is, for those of you who have a student loan, you you already know this, but um, you know basically you take out or you you use use the loans whilst you're at university, and then the way that it works is you only start paying that loan back once you hit a a certain threshold for earnings. So the idea is um, that you have to be actually you know earning some money, earning a full time wage before the government starts to ask you to pay back that student loan. Now, this um, these thresholds uh, increase with um, with inflation, generally speaking. Um, but what's Rishi Sunak again has come out this year and said that they're actually going to freeze those thresholds. So uh, the current threshold for Plan uh, 2 is £27,295 and Plan 3 is £21,000. So really in April, they should have been going up, which means that you would have to be earning a little bit more before you started to pay back your loan. Um, but he said, no, that's staying the same. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that you know 
with inflation, if the amount isn't increasing in the same in line with inflation, then it's actually decreasing in real terms. So a, a freeze of a limit, whether that's the personal allowance, the capital gains tax allowance, these repayment thresholds, anytime a government freezes a threshold at which you're required to pay more tax or pay something back to them, that is a de facto tax increase. And that's exactly what this is. It's effectively increasing the pool of people who will hit that threshold um, and therefore increasing the amount you've got to pay back. Now, that's one thing. You know, We've had a lot of things, a lot of rates that have been frozen over the last couple of years with all of the economic uncertainty. So that that's nothing new. Um, but this is compounded by the fact that the um, the interest on student loans uh, is tied to is tied to RPI, retail price index. Now, I actually did a, um, I think it was an article I wrote about this actually recently about how the uh, consumer price index compared to the retail price index. And funnily enough, the retail and price, oh, sorry, start again. The consumer price index, which is what is often uh, used as the the measure of inflation, it doesn't include one really key element. And that's housing. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, housing is by far the biggest expense in my own personal budget. So the fact that the CPI calculation doesn't include housing is a pretty massive um, hole in the way it's calculated. Now, RPI or the retail price index does include housing. Now, there are a couple of different ways that they are cal- they're calculated mathematically slightly differently, but broadly speaking, that's one of the really big differences. Now, Obviously, house prices have been going up significantly over the last couple of years, and so RPI is running quite a bit higher than than CPI. So, um, interestingly enough, when the government's looking at calculating the increases of the benefits that they give you, they tend to tie that to CPI because it's lower. Um, and when they look at the uh, increase in the benefits or the increase in the, the figures that you have to pay back they tend to tie that to RPI, which funnily enough is higher. And student loans are one example of that. So student loans, the repayment interest on those is RPI plus 3%. So that means that the current level of, of uh, the current level, level of interest that is going to be charged on those loans is potentially going to be pretty eye-wateringly high. Now, RPI at the moment is running incredibly high. It's at 7.5%, um, which is insane. It really is insane. Um, so you might look at that and think, shit, does that mean that interest on student loans is going to be over 10%? Well, luckily there is an interest rate cap, um, which basically means that if the government, um, if, if it uh, is higher than what a commercially available loan would be, they limit it to that commercially commercially available loan. So if you could go out to the market and get a get a loan to pay off your student loans from a bank or something um, at an X interest rate, then they will cap it at that interest rate. So, you know, it does limit how crazy this student loan interest can get. Um, but obviously, all of this eventually ties back, and I'm going to talk about interest um, a bit more later on, but it all ties back to what happens in the market. So obviously, if interest rates are increasing, if inflation is increasing, if all this stuff is going up, then broadly speaking, loan the cost of, of borrowing money will go up as well. So there are still likely to be increase in the amount of interest that's being charged on student loans. So it is a double-edged sword for people who have these. They're going to be um, you're going to be more people that are falling in the bracket that need to pay them back. 
Um, and for, for people who either are in that bracket or, or are not yet paying them off, the interest that's being charged or levied on these loans is also going to be higher. So it's a, it's a double whammy for people who have student loans, unfortunately. But the good news doesn't end there. So there's been a lot of talk as well about the increase to national insurance. So this has been on the cards for a little while. For next tax year, it's going up um, 1.5%. So at the moment, um, I mean, you pay some yourself as an employee and then your employer pays some on your behalf. So we'll just focus on the uh, the ones that you pay. Um, that has been for a number of years now, that's been at a rate of 12%. Uh, but that is increasing to 13.5%. Um, if you're self-employed, it's a little bit better. It's still increasing 1.5%, but you pay a bit less. So there's 9% that you're, you were paying, and then you will be paying 10.5%. It might even be 10.25%, actually. Anyway, slight, slight increase for self-employed people as well. Now, this is something to watch, right? Because national insurance is... Um, often misunderstood a little bit because what a lot of people think is that they are paying into national insurance for their own state pension in the future because that is what national insurance is is, is there for. It's to pay for state pensions. So I see a lot of people who are now in receipt of state pension or getting towards that age who say, well, I've, I've been paying into that all my life and now it's my turn to access that. And like I get it, I get the I get the kind of the thought process behind that. It's my turn now. Like I do understand that, but that's not actually how it works. The way that it works is that the contributions that you are paying into your or for national insurance now is paid directly to people who are receiving the state pension. So you can see why that's going up, right? There's always been a lot of talk lately about uh, the um, aging population and people are living longer and. That means there's more people accessing the state pension. You know, when the state pension first was um, first was created, like over a hundred years ago, the average age or the average life expectancy was like in in the 60s. You know, people living to 65 and living to 68 and getting a state pension at 65. Well, now people are getting the state pension a little bit later, like 68, 67, but they're living until well into their 80s in many cases. So the burden on the state pension is the largest benefit by country mile that, that the, the government pays. So they're trying to plug that gap a bit, basically. Um, so I don't think this is the last rise we'll see on national insurance over the next decade. I think it's going to be a continual problem. Um, and you know it, it is it is effectively a tax. So it's, a, it's another tax increase that is happening. There was some talk about it potentially being uh, not increased just because there are so many so much pressure on people's um, budgets uh, at the moment with um, with everything that's going on, the price, energy costs that I was talking about before. But the um, Rishi Sunak has come out and confirmed that it is going ahead. That national insurance will be going up on April uh, the sixth. So another tax increase, basically, a tax increase by another name. We've had the um, various uh, uh, sorry, various tax bans frozen last year. We've got a tax increase there. We've got energy price going up. And now we've got interest rates going up as well. So that's kind of the, the other big, uh, the big talking point from last week. So Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, came out and said that interest rates have, uh, yeah, base interest rates have increased from 0.25 to 0.5%, um, which again was kind of expected with inflation running so high. You know, that is one of the main ways that the central bank tries to manage the level of inflation. Uh, and the reason behind that is that, um, well, the reason behind it usually is because inflation comes when there's a hot 
um, a hot economy. So when things are booming, when things are going well, people are spending a lot of money, companies are generating a lot of profits, they're paying people more, and this kind of creates this upward spiral of prices. And so in those sort of circumstances, increasing interest rates is one decent way to take some of that heat out of the system. You know, if you're if you're living the high life, doing really well, spending a load of money, and your mortgage starts to go up, that will probably temper your spending a bit. Um, same with if you're operating a business. If you're operating a business and you're expanding and you're hiring more people and you know pumping up the economy, and interest rates go up, your lending your borrowing goes up, you're going to have less spare cash flow to be able to reinvest. So you slow things down a little bit. So, you know, that is the way that it's supposed to work. But we're in this kind of weird situation now where inflation isn't really going up because the economy is so hot. You know, if anything, people are feeling the pinch more now. So it's a very awkward situation. Uh, and again, I've wrote an article on my website about this. It's a, a term called stagflation where you can get into the situation where you have a stagnating economy. So you're not getting growth, uh, GDP growth, but you are getting increased in interest rates. And it's a really, really awful position to be in. Um, not saying we're necessarily there yet, but this is kind of where you can see the challenge uh, comes for the central bank, because if they don't put interest rates up, then potentially inflation runs away even further. Um, but if they do, it can potentially um, pull back the economic growth even further. Now, the thing that I found the most interesting of this increase was that there was a a good number of um, of the decision makers uh, from the Bank of England who actually wanted to put interest rates interest rates up to zero point seven five percent. So they wanted to triple um, the 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 base interest rate. Um, and of course, this is really important for us because this flows through to what we pay. So this flows through to um, it flows through to our debt, so to our mortgage. Mortgage rates will go up off the back of this. Um, if you've got car loans, if you've got credit cards, if you've got any form of loan, they are often based off whatever the Bank of uh, England interest rate is. Um, and many of the different costs um, in in our life, a lot of which you wouldn't even necessarily know, are tied to the Bank of England base rate. So, you know, this is um, this is a really uh, this is a really big deal, not only because it was an increase, but because it's it's likely to be the first of of potentially quite a few more. So, the uh, Andrew Bailey said that they believe that inflation, and when again when they're talking about inflation, they're talking about CPI, which is currently at five point four percent. They expect that to hit seven percent in spring this year. So if that's hitting seven, shit, well RPI is probably going to be pushing eight or nine. Um, which is which is obviously not good news, um, but they are predicting them to go back to normal in 2023. So they're expecting inflation uh, or CPI to, to drop back to around two percent towards the end of this year and into early 2023. So 2023. So they are really expecting this to be a very short-term, acute kind of problem. So that, to me, is going to be really interesting to see because if that is the case, um, then a lot of these potential issues may be smoothed out over the next 12, 18 months. I have to say I'm not convinced, um, but you know it's the same with the the energy price rises. You know, at the moment there are some some serious supply chain issues which are pushing up the prices. You know, if that is just something that's going to last for um, 12 months or so, then we may find ourselves in early 2023 all of a sudden um, feeling the opposite. So at the moment, 
it feels like we're being attacked left, right, and center in terms of cost increases. You know, the cost of our groceries is going up, the cost of our utilities is going up. We're paying a high level of interest on our mortgage, potentially paying more interest on our student loans. You know, just there's just costs left, right, and center. We're not getting inflation level pay increases, um, and potentially that could go back the other way next year. You know, and I hope it does. We could get to a point where all of a sudden energy prices are actually going down because that off-gem cap that I was talking about earlier works both ways. So if in April next year, wholesale energy prices have gone down significantly, then off-gem will reduce that cap. So it means that there will be a very a very uh, strict limit on how much our energy prices can, energy bills can be and therefore we could see a big drop. Um, same with interest rates. If, interest, if inflation if all the heat comes out of the inflation um, level of inflation, then potentially interest rates get dropped quite quickly as well. So we could see it being a more long-term dragged out scenario, or we could see it being kind of a really acute problem as we're coming out of the coronavirus pandemic, as we're navigating, still navigating what our supply chain looks like after Brexit and things get back to normal. It will be it will remain to be seen. I hope that is the case because if this continues over the long term, it's going to put a lot of pressure on um, on all of our finances. So that's a lot of bad news. I've delivered a lot of bad news. I mean, I'm sure it was nothing you hadn't already heard. Like I say, it was all over the news last week. There was plastered everywhere. There's new stuff coming out every single day, but it was like so much. It was, it was sort of hard to keep track of. Um, so I hope that provides you a little bit of summary of all of those negative headlines. Now, you know me, I don't just want to drop that on you and say all the best sorted out. Um, I want to try and give you some some uh, solutions to try and work through it. And, you know, a lot of the advice has been a lot of professional experts, a lot of financial planners, a lot of um, money bloggers and all sorts of people on, on all the news, um, news and radio programs telling people how they can um, deal with the, the hike in energy prices and all that sort of stuff. And it's basically all focused on saving money. How do I save money on my electricity bill? How do I, how do I spend less money? Um, and the advice is around things like, you know, get a smart meter, monitor your heating use, turn off your lights, all that kind of stuff. And I honestly really hate all that advice. Um, because it all comes back, it all comes back to just having a worse quality of life. The advice basically breaks down to just reduce your quality of life as much as you possibly can. That will reduce your expenditure, and then maybe you'll be able to scrape through. I think that is just such a passive, um, a passive, weak, uh, negative, negative uh, mental health attitude to have to your finances. You know, I think it's really important to remember that we are all in control of our own of our own financial situation. Now, I'm not saying don't try and save money on your bills and stuff. You know, that is part of, of, of the process. That is part of what's important about having a stable financial base is making sure you're not spending money on silly things that you don't need. If times are tight, look at some of the costs that you really are surplus to requirements. You know, if you've got if you've got streaming services you don't ever watch or, you know, if you're paying um, for a, a car uh, a car loan that just sits on the driveway because you just work from home now all the time. Like, yeah, obviously look at costs that you can get rid of that you don't need. But I am never going to advocate for people sitting on their sofa wearing a ski jacket and a hat because they don't want to turn the heating on. To, in my mind, that's just crazy. Um, so from my perspective, you can look at it that way and in a, in a negative way. Look, how much can I cut? How much can I reduce? How much can I limit? 
And number one, like I say, you're going to end up with a more shit quality of life. Number two, there's a limit to how much you can do that, right? If you really buckle down and rent absolutely crazy on your budget, maybe you could drop it by 25%. You're going to have a much less happy life, much less satisfying life, and it's it's capped because at the end of the day, you're going to have a base level that you need to spend on food. You're going to have a base level you need to spend on electricity. You're going to have a base level you need to spend on housing costs and all the other stuff. There's going to be a, a, a hard cap on how much you can limit those things. So that's why I think it's really important to look at how to earn more money, how to grow your wealth, how to increase your income. And there's loads of different ways you can do that. I talk a lot about investing and those sorts of things. That's not something that's going to change things overnight. You know, you can't invest your money today and then be more wealthy in a month's time. You know, not in a, you know, potentially a little bit, but not not enough to change your life. But there are definitely ways that you can look to increase your income and give yourself more control. You know, whether that is looking for a looking for a new job, looking for ways to get a promotion in your existing job, looking at starting a business on the side. You know. There's a million and one different ways that you can look to increase your income. And again, they're not necessarily going to change things overnight. You know, maybe if you change jobs, you can get a pay rise and that gets sorted pretty quickly. But the important thing is that if you are really feeling the pinch now, the sooner you start planning and working towards a life where you have more income, you have more wealth, the less of an issue it's gonna this kind of thing is gonna be for you over the long term. You know, wealthy people don't really care that the price um, cap's gone up 54%. Clients of mine who've got hundreds of thousands of pounds in investments, millions of pounds in investments, they don't give a shit. They'll still have a whinge about it, but it doesn't impact their quality of life because they don't even probably know how much they spend on power. They just pay it. And so if you can get yourself into that position where you have surplus income to pay for the basic living costs of your life, then you don't have to worry about clipping coupons and turning your thermostat down 0.7 of a degree to save two quid a day you know the sooner you can get away from that place in your life the better and like I say it's not gonna it's not necess- it's not I'm not saying it's easy but from my perspective that is 100% the best way to fix all these problems increase because they're not they're not going to stop they're not going to stop there's going to continue going to continue to be increases in the amount of tax we pay there's going to be conti- continue to be um a, a decrease in the support that's available to people. You know, there are some of these things that may be transitory. The energy cost may be transitory, but things like the increase to national insurance, the increase to the amount you've got to pay on your student loans, you know, those are all things that are going to continue to be problems. We have a a society that is going the government is needing to spend a continuously higher amount of money. People are living longer. The cost for things like care is going up significantly again because people are living longer. Those problems are not going away. So I'm not giving you a roadmap of check this bill, see if you can get a better deal. You know all that stuff. If you if you listen to podcasts like this, you know all the stuff you need to be doing. Martin Lewis talks about all this stuff and a lot um, a lot better than I do. Andy Webb, I've had him on before um, from Be Clever With Your Cash. You know, He's fantastic at finding the best energy deal and that sort of stuff. That's not what I that's not really what my my expertise is. Um, but for me, it's more about the mindset of looking for ways to grow your wealth, looking for more ways to have control over your income, have control over the, the, the level of freedom and flexibility you have with your money. So to finish on some good news, I think the, the really positive thing is that actually there is going to be a lot of opportunity 
over the next year or two. You know, I think we're seeing we well, yeah, well, we are finally seeing the UK come out of uh, the lockdown era coronavirus. It's getting to a point where life is getting back to normal. You know, we are able to go about work in a lot of the same ways. Schools are pretty much back to normal. We can go on holidays under relatively normal circumstances. Like generally speaking, life is feeling pretty normal. I don't know about you guys. That's definitely how I feel. So, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities and a lot of businesses that are looking to ramp up, looking to come out of the pandemic strong. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are wanting to, who make changes. So if you're um, if you're looking to get a job with a new company, then there's going to be, I'm sure, loads that are out there that are employing, that are looking to expand off the back of this. If you're looking to start your own business, there's going to be a lot more people out there who are looking for your services almost regardless of what it is because we're all ready to get back to normal. And it's going to take a bit of time. There's going to be people who are, who are uncomfortable with that. But you know, I'm really positive about the opportunity for us. And I think that's going to be in spite of all this other stuff. You know, I think it's going to be continuous headwinds from from a tax point of view and from a government perspective. But I think that despite all that, there's a load of opportunity. There's just so much um, positive stuff out there for us to look forward to. So don't feel, uh, I don't, I don't want to, basically, I just don't want to depress you and make you listen to this and think that my, my life is going to shit. I don't believe that. I believe we just need to take control of it ourselves and uh, make our lives what, what, we, uh, what we want it to be. So if you want to start doing a little bit more reading into those things, reading into some of those positive steps that you can take for your own financial circumstances, um, go check out the website. I've got a lot of different um, a lot of different articles on there that can really help you with some of the more practical steps about making those changes. So you know, for example, should I invest in a buy to let versus investing in the stock market? Um, how to save for a home when prices are at all time highs? You know, I've got a lot of stuff on there that will help you with having a, a a positive objective to look at to work towards to grow your wealth uh, or ways to grow your wealth. So go check that out. That's at the website, thehedge.io. Like I say, um, also make sure you pick up a copy of the ebook. Again, that's on the website. The ebook is called Modern Investing Fundamentals. It is nine quid on Amazon, like I, um, I have said on here a number of times, but I would just rather give you a copy for free if you go to the website. So jump on there, drop your email address and I'll send it directly to your inbox. As always, guys, I really appreciate you tuning into this podcast every week. It really does mean a lot to me to see how many uh, thousands of you listen to the listen to the show each month. It is kind of crazy. Um, but if you could find a couple of seconds to drop me a review on Apple Podcasts, it's literally just scroll to the bottom of the episode, tap on the five stars, um, and then the same on Spotify, you can do that as well. That would mean mean a lot to me because um, that really helps me grow the show as well. So thank you very much, guys, for, for your attention. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to speaking to you next week.